Welcome, 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 everybody. This is Dan. And Anika. And this is episode three of the Sober Highway podcast. We have a wonderful um, group of topics that we're going to uh, discuss with you guys today. Uh, First, we're going to add on to our discussion from the last episode about what treatment looks like. We'll talk about when someone is ready to complete treatment. We're going to talk about that from the client's perspective or the patient's perspective, as well as uh, the the therapist or clinician's perspective. We're going to talk about um, New Year's resolutions. Uh, we are taping this on the day after Christmas, and we're gearing up for New Year's. And we're also going to talk about SMART goals, the acronym SMART, S-M-A-R-T. Like each letter is going to have its own thing. But anyway, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions, SMART goals, when is someone ready to complete treatment, All of that is included in this episode today. Stay tuned and let's go. Welcome to the Sober Highway Podcast. We are two young social workers who have dedicated our lives and careers to affecting change in the addiction recovery community. We want to use this podcast as a platform to take the things we have learned over the course of our careers and share it with our listeners. At the end of the day, we hope to inspire as many people as we can to make a change and live a healthy lifestyle free of drugs and alcohol. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. So let's just jump right in. So we are recording this now. It is December 26th, right? Yes, it is. Okay. So New Year's is next week, right? Friday, wait, Thursday is New Year's Eve. And And Friday is New Year's Day. Friday is New Year's Day. Okay. So one of the things that I talk about with my clients all the time especially around this time of year, is New Year's resolutions, of course, because it's in the year. And one of the things I've noticed with New Year's resolutions, and maybe you guys, everybody can resonate with this, is that more often than not, New Year's resolutions almost always fail. Yeah, I have a thing that I say I'm not going to set any New Year's resolutions because why even bother? <laughs> right. I mean, like, what what's the what are some of the most common New Year's resolutions? I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start losing. I'm going to start losing weight. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to stop. I'm going to quit drugs. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to read. I'm going to read books this year. I'm, I'm gonna, going to be healthier. I'm going to eat healthier. Right. Why? Why is that? Because 
there's no there's no work done behind the scenes to prepare for that. So like when you're when you're sitting there on New Year's Eve and you're there talking with your friends about like what your New Year's resolutions are, you're just like, all right, I'm gonna lose weight. What planning have you done? Like what what have you done beforehand to kind of like get ready to achieve that goal? Because once New Year's once the clock hits midnight on New Year's Day and you're like, okay, New Year's resolution. What am I going to do? Oh, you know what? Because New Year's Eve falls on a weekend this year, I'm going to wait until Monday to get started. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to like, I'll get started with the gym and then like, I'll pick up like a dietitian at some point down the road. Right. Oh yeah. The, the Monday I'll start next week. Right. Right. And then you get to the gym and you're like, oh, well I signed up for the membership today. So like, I'm not actually going to like work out today. Cause like, I'll work out tomorrow. Yeah, I'll go to the gym tomorrow. <laughs> and then you wake up early in the morning. You're like, oh, I don't really want to do that. You know what? I'll, it's cold. It's cold, right? Like, it just snowed. I don't want to dig out my car to go to the gym, right? And then even even if you get yourself up and you get out and you dig out your car, you're like, oh, that's enough of a workout. Like, I'm just going to go to the gym tomorrow. And then it, ne- it it never happens. So part of the reason why New Year's resolutions never work is because they're not planned out. And so one of the things that I think is the most important to do is when you set goals for yourself, you make them smart goals, right? People might ask, what are smart goals? They're not just goals that aren't dumb goals because every goal is a good goal, but a smart goal, actually smart is an acronym. We're going to touch on every single one of the letters in that acronym. So that way you know what type of goal is a SMART goal. And okay? so when we think of our typical goals, right, I'm going to stop using. I'm going to stop drinking. Right. I'm going to go to the gym. Those are not SMART goals because they're too general. For the for the sake of this argument or for the sake of this discussion, we can call those, we can call those dumb goals because... Maybe. Eh, so we can call them not smart goals and you can use your own, you can use your own, uh, whatever you can use your own thought process to determine what not smart means. But anyway, so, so the first, uh, we'll start with S. So is your goal specific, right? So is it something that's specific enough. So when you say, I want to be healthier, what does being healthier mean? Does it mean you want to eat better? Does it mean you want to lose weight? Does it mean you want to start? Like, does it mean you want to get sober? Does it mean like, there's so many things. So you want to make the goal specific. You want to set something like a goal with a number. Like I want to lose 50 pounds. Which kind of starts going into the the next one, which is M, which is measurable, right? Right. So is it something you can measure? Is it something you can track over a period of time? So, for example, to to relate it to getting get drinking or getting uh, getting high, especially this this can work great if you're coming from a harm reduction standpoint because if you're trying to reduce the number of drinks or um times you use over the course of a year or a week whatever that can be very specific and right so like 
I want to get to a point where I can drink two, like one beer every like every week. Right? And for someone that's drinking a 30 rack over the course of 2 days, that's a very monumental reduction in in drinking, right? Yeah. 15 beers a day to one a week. Like that's ridiculous. Right? Um then we get to then we get to the A, which is attainable. Right? Is it something is it something that is challenging enough for you to like make you feel accomplished when you reach it, but not something that's like impossible. So it's almost like how do I say this? You want it to be challenging, but not impossible. You want it to be so, like which goes into the R, which is the realistic, which is realistic, right? right. Um, so you you know who you are, you know what you're capable of, and you don't want to push yourself too hard. You don't want to go too far out of your comfort zone and get yourself so overwhelmed that you quit. Yeah, and and so when we're thinking about it, like we said, with drinking or using, right? If if you're Drinking just is easier to quantify, I think, for this conversation. And so, yeah, if you're drinking 15 drinks and your your goal is once a week, one drink once a week, you know, that may be realistic over a course of time. So maybe initially it's to set it at five drinks a week, mm-hmm. right? And then and then to kind of over time make it to that one a week. Um, and, and so knowing, too, that the last, the time bound comes in too. T stands for time bound. And so what is the time frame that I'm doing this in? So if we want to really use smart in terms of the the goal, right? Mm-hmm. My goal is to get healthier by reducing my drinking mm-hmm. over the course of six months. Mm-hmm. So within six months, I'm going to reduce my drinking from 15 drinks a day to one drink a week. Right, and that's the time. That's the T, the time bound part. You want to give yourself, you want to give yourself a deadline. So, like when you're thinking about, like you were saying, the goal that you want to set, you want, like when you're setting that time deadline. Again, you want to be realistic about it. Like, do you really think it's possible to uh, to reduce your drinking from a thirty rack over the course of two days to one beer a week? Is that something that's that you can do even though you've been drinking a 30 rack over two days for like three or four years. That's, I mean, if you can do that, share that with us because I would really love to know that because we're always trying to get better. Yes. Caveat in there. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, but like you want to be, you want to, you want to be realistic about, about the goals that you're setting. And again, the time bound thing you want to give yourself, um, if you give, if you give yourself a deadline, you may be more inclined to feel, I don't want to say like a sense of urgency, but like you may be more inclined to put in a little bit more effort and, and keep pushing because you have, you have like a, I don't want to say a stopping point, but like a deadline to meet. Like if you're, if, if you're at. If you're at a point where you're at, say, a six-pack over the course of a week and you're like, man, I got one more month before 
I need to be down to one drink a week. Like, let me keep, let me keep pushing. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to give you that motivation to keep going, even though you think that you're maybe like down and out or not even close to that goal. And so know with goal setting too and using smart goals, like you might have shorter term goals and then longer term goals. Exactly. So especially when we think of recovery, like just don't drink for today or just don't use for today. That actually is a smart goal, right? Because right. Because it's specific in terms of I'm not using or drinking. I want to have zero drinks today. It's obtainable. Right. And it's realistic because we're just talking about today and it's time bound because it is just for today, right? Exactly. And, and so when people use that slogan in, in 12-step programs, you can mm-hmm. take it outside of that too. Right. Right. And think about, I'm not going to have any drinks. I'm not going to use any illicit substance um, or abuse any prescription drugs today is a smart goal. And and also for people that are very in very early recovery, it's also important, like, if a day is too much to think about, or if a week is too much to think about, or a month or even a year is too much to think about, like, you can go even shorter. Like, like if I can make it through the next three hours or the next four hours without drinking, or if I can make it to the end of this meeting without, or, you know, like, if I can make it to the end of the workday without wanting to drink or without drinking or, um... I don't want to I don't want to stop at the liquor store on the way home or something like that. You want to take it when you when you think about time-bound goals or the T aspect of your goal, you can make that deadline as short or as long as you want to fit your comfortability. Is that even a word? Yeah, well I mean out us. <laughs> it is now right. I just said it. It's a word. Um, yeah. but but I think that's very true is <laughs> Just, you know, it could be for this 30 minutes, for this 10 minutes, for this hour, for the six hours, for this day, for this week, for this month. And and so everybody's going to have a different time frame depending on where they are. And when you, when you set a goal for yourself like this, one that's specific, one that's measurable, one that's attainable, one that's realistic, and one that's time bound, and you... And you're accomplishing these goals and maybe even smashing these goals, it's going to it's going to just do it's gonna work wonders for your confidence. It's gonna make you set goals that more goals that you thought you never would have been able to accomplish before. And you may set something like, you know, say if your first goal was I wanna get down to get to a point where in six months, I can drink one beer a week. And you're like, well, I don't even need that one beer anymore. Right? It might, it might, if, if you were good enough to get down from 30, 30, a 30 rack every two days to one beer a week, like, I could just get rid of that one beer. Like, one beer over the course of the week, like, that's nothing. Well, and at, you at can that just, point, what purposes are really serving? Right, right, exactly. What is that? What is that one beer doing for you? Like, if you're drinking one beer a week, there's no, there's no physiological dependence there anymore. And if there is, then there's some underlying medical issue that has been undiagnosed for all that time. But like, what's stopping you? 
and again, remembering when we're using these SMART goals, like I said, I think sometimes it's, we like to think about long-term goals because I think a lot of us kind of get stuck in that future mode, but sometimes it's just for today, right? And, mm -hmm. and it really is. I set that SMART goal over and over and over again every single day or three times a day, and I reset my day with that goal as many times as I need. Could you imagine if every New Year's resolution that has ever been made from now on for everyone in the world was a SMART goal? How many people would be accomplishing all the life goals that they set for themselves just moving forward like ever? Yeah. And, and you know, I think we like to use New Year's, again, like from a psychological standpoint, it's like, oh, this new beginning, this new start, right? Like I can mm -hmm. wipe the slate clean. But I just want to encourage people too to really think about you could do that at any point, right? Right. And, and so it doesn't have to just be New Year's. New Year's is a nice time to kind of start thinking about SMART goals. Mm -hmm. It could be at any time. If you're religious, it could be associated with a holiday. Right. If you believe in the universe and you're really into moon cycles, it could be with the new moon or the full moon, right? I know a lot mm -hmm. of people can use that too. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so I think that it, it can kind of help reevaluate over time too. Um, okay. Every season. I think about where my goals are, if they're somewhere I want to be, what's going on with them, et cetera. And, and so I think that trying to remember that the goal setting process is not, I just set it right now and that's mm -hmm. it. It can kind of be reevaluated. We can look back at it. We can adjust it as needed. We can go back as much as we need. That actually brings up a really, really good point that I missed when we were talking in the last episode about what treatment looks like. And this is actually going to give us a good segue into our, our topic that we're going to talk about today is treatment planning. Um, when you come into a treatment program, especially a program that's Oasis licensed, right? That has a state license to, um, to practice drug treatment. By the way, Oasis stands for the Office of um, Addiction Services and Supports. That's the state agency uh, in New York that gives programs its license to practice. Anyway, so when you come into an Oasis licensed facility, one of the things that you're going to work on or that you're going to start developing with your, with your therapist or your counselor is your treatment plan, right? It's going to address all of the, it's basically just like a roadmap of what you're going to work on while you're in treatment. So it's going to have a multitude of different areas, right? Your substance use, your mental health, um, you, any f issues with your family, any legal issues that you may have, um, vocational, vocational goals. goals, educational goals, stuff like that. Housing. Housing, right. Um, and you go, when you meet with your, usually like the first or second session, like after your um, after your intake is when you're going to talk about the goals that you want to accomplish. And this is where it's here. Yes. Okay. So we just got an amazing surprise. Our Chipotle is here. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. Well, depending on, well, over the course, when you hear this, it's only going to feel like two seconds, but we're going to take a break. We're going to eat our Chipotle. And we'll get and we'll get back to goals <laughs> right now. Hey, and we are back. How was your Chipotle? Good. It was delicious. Mine was delicious too. <laughs> oh man, 
I'm just going to finish wiping off my face here. <clears throat> anyway, so we were talking about treatment planning. Uh, so when you, when you go to a program, you'll have this treatment plan, which is, like I said before, this document that has all the different areas of your life that you're going to work on while you're with this therapist. And it's important, like you were saying, the treatment plan actually gets reevaluated every month or three months or six months or nine months, depending on um, like what type of program you're in. And it's a great tool to use to measure like the progress that you're making over the course of your recovery. So when you set goals like on your treatment plan, not only are you like not only are you setting the goal, but you're also laying out objectives or like little checkpoints that you have to hit that'll basically ultimately lead up to you accomplishing that goal. And then not only that, but you're going to lay out the things that you're going to do on the day to day basis that'll help you um, that'll help you along the way. Like we're going to do like interventions could be something like individual therapy once or twice a week, group therapy once a week or twice a week or three times a week psychiatry like uh meeting us with a psychiatrist and doing medication once a month aa meetings and stuff like that and every three months you 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 evaluate your progress and you can either change the goal change the objectives change your interventions and to reflect the progress that you've made and one of the things that is important to to realize is that not only are we doing this for your benefit, but this is to show, sorry, this is important to show the state or to show Medicaid when they come in to audit your program or to audit your practice, because that can happen from time to time. It's important to have this document so that way programs can show what they're working on with their clients and the progress that they've made. Like, for example, I remember we got audited, my program got audited by, um, by Oasis, uh, cause they were, we were up for our license renewal and, um, one of my director came to me and said, Oasis made a, you know, is thinking about citing us. And I'm like, why? And she's like, well, this person's been in our program for well over a year. Meanwhile, they haven't given us a, a negative, uh, a positive drug test in like over nine months. I'm like, yeah, well, this person's in felony treatment court. Like they're legally mandated to be in treatment for 18 months. That's why he's still here. And she's like, oh, okay, that's great. Like, I just wanted to let them know. So that way that doesn't like look like as a strike against us. Cause this guy was literally hitting all of his goals in stride. Like every, every three months when we would review his treatment plan, he was making progress. So the state was like, well, he's hitting all of his marks. Like, why is he still coming to treatment once a week? Yeah, and so that kind of goes into, okay, there are sometimes are going to be circumstances, right, where clients meet their goals consistently. Mm -hmm. And it kind of seems like, oh, well, treatment should be over and completed, right? So, again, sometimes it's that, that dynamic between what the state wants or insurance companies, right, mm -hmm. and then what the, if they have any legal involvement, CPS, et cetera, like what they want and then mm -hmm. what the client wants. Right. Right. And so like trying to balance all of those things and um, 
trying to say like, okay, well, this is what makes it appropriate to say the client has really truly met their goals. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, when we look at someone's completion from treatment, especially from a from a clinician standpoint, the main thing is we want to look at all the goals that this person has laid out for themselves when they first started, and we want to see are they in a better place now than where they were when they first got here. And if that state, if that's a yes across the board, then that person's ready to go. Like that person's done at least at this level of care. And I think what is important for people to realize sometimes is that the therapeutic relationship between like a per, like a, a patient and their therapist transcends everything. Like, think about it. You could be seeing a therapist for four, five, ten years, twenty years, and think about how that patient, how you'll have evolved as a person. Graduated high school, graduated college, got your master's degree, got married, had kids, had grandkids, and yet you're still seeing that therapist once a week. So every once in a while, I think it may be a good thing to kind of like change things up a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that you have to, but like once you've accomplished all of your like all of your goals at this point in your life, maybe it's maybe it's a good idea to move on to a different like a different type of program or a different therapist because they may be able to offer you another perspective that maybe your current therapist or a prior therapist wasn't able to give you because they'd been working with you for so long on a certain set of goals. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I think there are, again, it's so dependent on the client, the therapist, et cetera, but like mm-hmm. knowing that, yes, there are people that are going to work with their therapist for 10, 20 years or longer, and mm-hmm. they get a lot of benefit out of it because it's kind of like peeling the layers of the onion. Right. Right. Um, and then there's other times that that does not really work and that's not appropriate. And what do you so, mean? where treatment will be a lot more short term. Oh right. Right. Yeah. So that would be, you know, somebody seeing a therapist for three months, four months, um, a year, even maybe mm-hmm. a little bit longer, but then maybe they figure out, okay, I've dealt with this or I've kind of come to, you know, have coping skills, et cetera. So especially if it's a solution based therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Or an outpatient treatment program that again is very solution focused. But now I really want to delve into maybe some of the past, why my thinking patterns are the way they are. Um, mm-hmm. how to navigate some of that. And so maybe it's time for a different clinician. And, and right. so kind of knowing too, um, the, the client may know, but also the therapist. And that's okay for either person to kind of say, hey, you know what? I think that maybe it's time to kind of wrap this up and mm-hmm. move on. And so this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm looking for. I think it's great that, you know, in an ideal world for a, for a client and their and their therapist to have that fluid discussion it's it doesn't always work that way though because there are often times where you may have a client say who's legally mandated like i was saying before and they're they're looking like oh well you know 
January of, you know, January's coming up and, you know, that's 18 months from when I first started. So like, can we start like winding down and I'll be like, well, yeah, you've satisfied your legal mandate, but like, there's all this other stuff that we haven't gotten to yet. And they're like, but my 18 months is up. So like, bye. And at that point, I'm like, all right, well, there's nothing really that I can do. And it's unfortunate to see some people like discontinue treatment like that because you see that there's a lot of stuff that they still have to work on or haven't addressed enough, but you can't, you know, you can't do anything at that point because it's voluntary. I mean, it's always voluntary, but there's no legal consequences if they decide to leave. And again, I think that that's something that every individual kind of comes up with themselves. And I've mm-hmm. had it go both ways. So I've had mandated clients that are like, okay, my time's up. Okay, I'm, I'm bye. And that's it, right? And I kind of express to them any concerns that I might have. And then I have clients that are legally mandated that, you know, they finish their time for probation or parole or treatment court. And then they're like, you know what? I still want to stay in treatment. Yes, that that is very important to keep in mind because I have had clients like that as well. And that, it, it, like the things that we're saying, they're not, they don't, it's not like they all apply to everybody. Like sometimes the things that we say apply to only a small portion of people. So we're just trying to give you um, as much information as we can. We're not trying to, tell you that like one thing is right or one thing is wrong or one thing always happens or something never happens stuff like that yeah and look there's there's also going to be times that people don't stay in treatment long enough or that people stay in treatment for too long too Mm -hmm. um and and just know again there's no like right or wrong in some of that either there's always an opportunity to leave treatment if it's not right and to go back to treatment if you left too early right like there there are a lot of there have been a few times where I will have been working with someone for quite a long time, especially in the residential programs, and they've become so accustomed to being in a program that they've become institutionalized in a sense. And when they notice that their time in the program is coming to an end, they'll almost like sabotage themselves because then they don't have to go out into the real world, again, in quotation marks, they can continue to stay in the program where they know they feel safe. Yeah, and I've seen that a lot too, where, mm-hmm. you know, people in the kind of go into these residential programs over and over again mm-hmm. um, because it's where they feel safe, where they feel that they can actually stay sober because they have a lot of support, um, where they feel like they can succeed in, in other areas of their life. And, and so I think, again, we need to try to assist those clients a little better in mm. terms of like the step down process. Absolutely. I mean, the transition process from any level of care to a more intensive or a less intensive um, program is always like super, super important. Like even like when someone's coming from jail, like transitioning from jail or prison to um, life of a free man. Whether you know, even though they're going to be on parole, but like, there are people that that sabotage themselves just so that they can go back to prison and and live that and and because they feel comfortable there. It's the same thing that applies to people in you know in like recovery programs. They may 
you know, use when they go out on a pass so that they can say, I don't feel comfortable going back home. So I need to stay in the program a little bit longer. Meanwhile, clinically speaking, they're ready. Like they've been in this program for well over a year. They've accomplished all of their goals. They've even said it to themselves that they're ready. They've said it to us that we're ready. Our treatment team has determined this person is ready to go. Yet they just do this completely out of the blue. It's because more often than not, they're sabotaging because they're comfortable in the program and they don't want to leave. Yeah, and sometimes it's it's really consciously and sometimes it's not so consciously too, mm-hmm. right? And so kind of thinking about that, that again, if it's done consciously, mm-hmm. it, it may be a little easier to talk about. Mm-hmm. If it's done subconsciously, that may be something that somebody still needs a little more time to kind of work through and to really talk mm-hmm. with their therapist about. And that's why we have, or one of the things that I've learned, you know, in in my graduate school training and something I've learned to refine over the course of my career is the termination process um, with a with a client or a patient, because there we we encourage our patients to think in the now, you know, like we want to how how is what we're doing going to affect us right now. Not all the time, but most of the time, that's how we encourage them to think. And we're thinking long term, like eventually this per like this person's not going to be my client or my patient forever. We need to figure out, you know, when we get closer, like how are we going to start that process of this person not being my client or my patient anymore? And so what I like to do is I slowly just introduce it to them like, okay, well, you know, you're going to court, like your last court date's going to be, you know, in February. So we have like four or five more sessions left before, you know, we're going to talk about completing. And then every, every week or so, we start to talk about those feelings a little bit more and more to the point where we get to that last session. And they're kind of at peace with the fact that we're not going to be working together anymore. Yeah. And that's, you know, as clinicians, we call it the termination process, right? Right. Um, and that's something I think that's really important if you have the opportunity. And of course, there are unique circumstances that it's not really possible. Um, mm-hmm. But typically, we really like to have those couple weeks to really discuss and process and, and come to the conclusion of you feeling ready to leave treatment. And, and for us to feel like you have the skills, you have the tools, um, mm-hmm. and, and we're very hopeful for you. Mm-hmm. There, There have been a lot of times where like I've had like a really good working relationship with a client and they'll go to court one day and the court will all of a sudden, the judge will just drop their charges like at randomly. And then I'll just go without hearing from this person for like three weeks and I'll call them and be like, what the hell's going on? Like you haven't spoken to me in three weeks, right? Like what's going on? What's going on? The court's going to have a problem. They're like, they finally answer the phone and they say, Oh, well, I went to court in January. They dropped my charges, so I'm not legally mandated to treatment anymore. I'm like, okay, and when were you thinking about telling me this? Like, you know, would you like to come in and, you know, at least have, like, one final session and we can kind of wrap things up? And they're like, no, I'm good. And, like, that's that's your termination with that client. And as clinicians, it's hard sometimes because when you've been working with someone for so long, you kind of – uh 
don't want to say you developed an attachment, but maybe there's like some counter-transference issues going on, and you really enjoy working with that person because they've been doing so well, and it's not as emotionally taxing on the mind to work with this person. And now that you're not having them anymore as a client, like on your caseload, it's like, like, I, I enjoyed working with that guy, and now I'm not going to have him anymore, and that sucks. Yeah, well, and I think that there is something to be said. Like, as clinicians, we do get attached in a certain way to our, our clients, right? Um, because but we'll never tell our clients that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that it's normal because it's human interaction, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the therapist-client relationship is so that, again, we're trying to assist you in seeing what you have within yourself already, right? So we're here just kind of as somebody that is there to guide you and to kind of be with you along the process mm-hmm. without making the decisions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, of course, a relationship forms. Now, that is not a friendship, right? That is not a romantic relationship. Let's be clear that like it's not that traditional relationship we think of is the therapeutic relationship Mm -hmm. um and and that really is you know my stuff as a therapist is not coming in to your treatment and so Mm -hmm. we're focusing on your goals what's right for you how can i be there for you to support you Mm -hmm. as you kind of learn these skills tools talk about your trauma your past change some of your thought patterns etc i think that at least for me when I do terminate with clients, especially when you're working in a, in a, like a, as part of a nonprofit, like you're going to have that person's contact information at least for the next five or six years before that person's records get shredded. But like, if I ever needed to get in touch with that client again, for some reason, I, I know how to get a hold of that person. So whenever I terminate with someone, I say, I know we're, I know where you live, you know, not that I'm going to go find that person, but like, not I know, <laughs> right. Like I know where you live. I know your phone number. If I ever need to talk to you again, I can call you for anything. But if you ever want to, you know, drop by and say hello and let us, let me know how you're doing and whatnot, whatever, like give us a call. If I'm here and I have a free moment, come on in, say hello. We can have like a little quick chit chat. And, you know, I welcome that because it, it it gives me a good idea to see like how my clients are doing once they leave, like my supervision, I guess. Yeah, and I think that that's something that comes up a lot, like whether it be residential or outpatient programs, more agency run mental health, community mm-hmm. mental health, uh, community substance abuse treatment. Right. But that's something that's done a lot. Is mm-hmm. hey, like you can come back and just say hi or let us know how you're doing. And sometimes mm-hmm. there are certain protocols too that they mm-hmm. actually will send out like letters or different surveys or different things to kind of yeah. follow up. Whereas in private practice, if, if you're doing real the, the individual one-on-one therapy, that's not really how they do things. But typically, It's usually up to the person's discretion. Yeah, and, and so again, typically that is the experience for a lot of programs that most people mm-hmm. that are trying to be in recovery are going to relate to. Yeah, I mean, I remember the residential program I worked at. Like we used to have, we used to have like AA and NA meetings done in-house. And every once in a while, we would have, you know, like an alumni of the program come in and run the meeting, which is great. But we kind of have to talk to that person before they come in and run the meeting to make sure that this person is actually like still like 
doing the right thing. Like, if they, like, say they graduated the program, and within the first few hours they got home, they started using again, because that has happened before. And then they come in and say, hey, I want to run a meeting. Like, eh, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, or even sometimes if it's not quite the using or drinking, right? But they're they're still sober, but maybe some of their behaviors right. are concerning, right? So maybe it's somebody that doesn't have um, the most legal, legit job, right? but they're sober, right? And, and so then does that play into, do I allow this person to kind of come back and speak and, and represent, you know, mm-hmm. um, how our program is, has been successful? Right. You know, we'll probably be a little more hesitant to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe we'll we'll cut this episode a little short because I think that's everything that I had um, to talk about for this topic. If you guys ever have any questions for us, um, please reach out to us on Facebook um, at uh, or on Instagram. Facebook, we are The Sober Highway. On Instagram, we are The Sober Highway underscore. Okay, of course, all lowercase. And feel free to ask us any questions that you'd like. Um, if you or someone you know uh, feel like you have something to add to this podcast, whether it be you're someone in recovery uh, or a professional um, in a certain field related to addiction that you think uh, could be good to talk about on the air, reach out to us and we will work something out. I'm really excited uh, to hear from our listeners. So please, please, please message us and I think that's it. Until next time. Bye. God. Okay, so we're gonna do Chipotle, right? Yeah. All right. So, I'm trying to think. I'm probably going to get a kick now because I'll probably eat later again. <laughs> oh, I love Chipotle so much. Um, let me pull up. Let me pull up Chipotle on my thing here. Uh, da 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 da. Now, are you a are you a bowl person or a burrito person? It depends. I actually don't think I'm going to. I think I might just get a quesadilla. Like <gasps> the kids' quesadilla. You know, I've been craving like dairy for the past week. Okay. And like, I this stuff my face with cheese. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And the <laughs> the thought of meat just makes me want to vomit. So I think that's probably what I'm going to do. Jericho and Herrick's. That's deep. No, it's not. It's like not that far. Oh, it just. I'm just look. You have to pick a. You have to pick a restaurant in order to get to the menu. Oh. Um. Oh, I'm gonna go with carne asada. Yes, yes, yes. Bowl or burrito. Bowl, always bowl. (laughs) Um, we're gonna do white rice. No beans, of course. Hold on. I'm just.
I'm just talking to myself. Don't worry. Um, you said no beans. No beans. White Ex- rice. White rice. Extra corn. Extra corn salsa. Sour cream. Fajita veggies. Cheese. Is queso blanco extra? Yeah, if you want, I guess. No, no, no. You ever notice how, like, when you go to Chipotle, right, and you want to get, like, guac or queso on your thing, and they're like, oh, that's going to be extra. I'm like, yeah, I, I know. I know. I, know. I get okay it. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. It's like you want fajita veggies. But then you're also, like, low-key hoping that they forget that, that they put, like, oh, yeah, the extra meat. $2. Yeah. But you don't say anything. You just tell the – because, like, the guy who makes the burrito and the guy who actually, like, rings you up, they're different people. Yeah. So if they don't – if that person doesn't say anything – then you just got free steak or free queso. You know what I mean? So you want fajita veggies, the corn salsa, sour cream, cheese, and carne asada. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> say that again? Okay, you want a carne asada bowl? <laughs> you did not just say it like that. My, my fiance is Dominican. Oh, okay, okay, all right. I'll give you a free pass on that. I'll give you a free pass. Okay. Um, so carne, carne asada. Carne asada. Uh, fajita veggies. Yes. Uh, roasted corn salsa. Extra. Okay, I have to put that in the list. If you go on the app, you can actually, if you hit the three buttons. Oh, I'm not on their app. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, because that's fine. It, I'm on DoorDash because I, I know because I've ordered, so they deliver it. That's fine. But I'll put it in the, the, the note. Whatever, whatever, yeah. Um, sour cream. Yep. Cheese, yep. White rice. Yep. That's it. That's it. Um, what are my options? Oh, there's, duh, there's. Apple juice. No. Who orders apple juice? What am I, a child? Come on. Well, my options are like milk and milk because I'm getting a kid's meal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to go with the fountain drink. Um, give me the biggest fountain drink they got and get me Coke. Please. They do. Because I'm looking on Chipotle's website. They have it. I might have to order through their website because this is it doesn't give me the options here. <gasps> it just tells me a Mexi-Coke. Mexi-Coke? What's that? Oh, that the must little, be the one little, with the glass bottle. The, yeah, the little glass bottle that has sugar nut corn syrup in it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, they don't have fountain. So weird. Why? Okay, let's see if I if we go to their website. <laughs> <laughs> Someone just posted this on Facebook. It's 364 days until Christmas, and the freaking guy next door already has his decorations up. (laughs) Is it too early to bring out the pumpkin spice stuff yet? I think, right? Maybe. 